welcome to Embrace the Musica. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. My husband is from Peru and we met salsa dancing over a decade ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. Here we are today, raising two tricultural kids and making the most of life and community in a place that neither of us grew up in. Embrace the Musica was started right before COVID-19 and is meant to be a place where we can be vulnerable about our story, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts that make us who we are today as we are constantly growing. I also love hearing about other people's journeys. So on many episodes, I get to invite incredible women onto the show to encourage us all. So let's embrace the Musica today. Welcome to Embrace the Musica, everybody. I'm so excited this week and just honored to have my friend Jenica Flores with us. And Jenica and I met actually probably a year and a half ago now through a business Mm -hmm. mastermind. Jenica is in Wisconsin. I'm in Mexico, but we were part of a small group together and really just hit it off. And she's been such a great encouragement with business, life, all the things. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about her story. And on that note, Jenica, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, maybe where you grew up, about your family, wherever you want to take this? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for those kind words. Um, And thanks for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited. Uh, Yeah, we met a year and a half ago, and I can't believe it It was right before the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. I was still in D.C. then. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot that you were yeah, still. I've, it's been yeah. quite a quite a trip. Um, I, as you said, I'm currently in Wisconsin. I'm staying at my family home with my parents, and my husband is here now. We, during the pandemic, transitioned here, um, and it's kind of full circle because this is where I grew up in a small town. Oh, it's I guess technically it's a city called Waukesha in Wisconsin. It's near Milwaukee. And it kind of feels more like a white suburb, at least when I was born um, and mm-hmm. growing up. It was, we were surrounded by a lot of white people. And um, I had, I was probably my family at the time that I knew. We were one of the few brown people. I mean, I'm mixed race. So um, it's, uh, I could kind of pass for both. But anyway. This is where I started and um, had a great life here growing up. <laughs> Actually, I have a question I want to ask you. So yeah. you said you grew, your family, did they move to Waukesha or is that where you were born? I was actually born in Waukesha. My parents are were from um, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. They, uh, they grew up there. Well, my dad uh, was born in Texas and moved their family moved there when he was about eight years old. And your dad's family is from Mexico, right? His mom is from Mexico. Yeah. Okay. I, I, at some point, all of them were from Mexico, <laughs> definitely. Um, but his father was born in Brownsville, Texas. And okay. his mother was born in um, a small town near Linares, okay. Mexico. Um, I don't know much about it, but she moved to Texas when she was, uh, I, I think a young teen, or maybe like t- 10, 
maybe about 10. So okay. anyway, so that's about all I know um, of that. Um, but there's a lot of history going back through Texas and Mexico. So my parents are, or my dad is really into ancestry. So finding a lot of good <laughs> stuff. I love that. Um, and then, but so then you were in Wisconsin. And then do you want to tell us a little bit about where because it was college that took you away or what was your first no actually um I went to a small I I moved from a large middle school to a small prep school in even a smaller town in Waukesha not in Waukesha in Wisconsin called Heartland so it was a it was a small college prep school and that ironically is where I first went to school with first black person and other brown people wow. I mean just a, just a couple I mean let's not <laughs> we weren't taking over anything but um you know I had a class of 21 so it was quite a different experience so I wanted a larger college they pushed small liberal arts colleges on us but I really wanted to go to um University of Wisconsin-Madison Okay. So that's where I went. Um, both my parents went to school there, um, and then following my sister also went there. So it's kind of in the family to be badgers. <laughs> so it wasn't until after college I moved to Boston. Um, that took me five years after that. Um, I was in a really bad accident, and um, that's a long story for another time, <laughs> but um, I lost part of my foot and just dealing with the, the bad weather and cold, I just needed a change. I needed a change in my, um, the direction I was heading career-wise too. I was, I had gone to school for journalism and um, marketing, so, but I was always interested in design. So I kind of combined all three in my own major and then thought I wanted to get into publishing, and that's why I went to Boston, because my best friend was there, so we moved in together. Um, and then, like I said, I was working um, at Harvard Business School at the time, and I was in a really bad accident and lost part of my foot. And after that, tons of surgeries, well, I shouldn't say tons, but <laughs> about eight or nine. That's a lot. 10, I think. I don't know, I lost track, to be honest. Um, I just wanted someplace new and different and warmer. So I went to LA and I decided to pivot from going to law school. Um, I was taking some legal writing courses and uh, I decided I needed to really follow my heart and that was in design because it had always been there. So LA is um, where I could get into interior design program right away at UCLA. So I moved there and after about five years in Boston and then spent the next 11 years in Los Angeles. I went to school, did, did the full program. It was a four year program full time. So it took me about six years because I had to work as well. But yeah, it was, I loved LA. It's, it's, um, there's something for everyone there. It definitely <laughs> is different from anywhere else in the world. It, I it's love that. Trip. Yeah. And is um, L.A. where you met Peter? L.A. is where I met Peter. Yes. Okay. It was my senior year. I was working on my thesis, and I was not, not interested in, you know, dating or anything at that time. I was just focused on my school because it was, I mean, I would spend up to 20 hours a day on that. So it was, it was insane. Um, so, yeah, I met him, and he, we just became friends, and 
and then it just you know I couldn't couldn't lose the guy so <laughs> we got married <laughs> I love that and so I also I, I don't think I knew that your initial major was journalism and marketing yeah. like that's yeah. where you started and then you went into design which is amazing like that you really did follow your heart um, and then you also met Peter and then so were you married in California and then you moved abroad or what we were we were work? married uh, we were married in the, the beautiful city or town of La Jolla California uh-huh. right on the beach it was picture perfect so pretty yeah it was amazing um, yeah September 25th 2009 so yeah our 12th anniversary is coming up um, yeah so we I was living in L.A. at the time, but actually he was living in D.C. Uh, before we got married. So, so he works in international relations, but he went to school for his master's at um, UCSD. And that's why we got married in La Jolla, because we had spent a lot of time there. It was just beautiful. I mean, really a great place to have your family and friends come for a wedding. So um, one week after our honeymoon no no i'm sorry one week after we got married we went we honeymooned in Zihuatanejo, mexico and so cool yeah and then he moved to afghanistan for three and a half years it was only supposed to be 10 months but it ended up being three and a half years so in that time i lost my job in la and moved to Wisconsin because I thought, oh, it's just 10 more months. I, I need to get out of here. I need to change. I need my family support. And it kept getting extended little by little, six more months, six more months. So I and Did you see him at all during that time? I did. I did. Okay. So I was going to say, that's um, they, a really long time. Yeah. They have this lovely thing called, you know, R&R where you get to um, have, I think it's at least a week, sometimes two weeks, um, vacation. You just can't. A lot of times you can't go back to the United States because for taxes and other purposes, you have to be out, out of the United States um, a certain amount of days. I think it's probably like 300 days or something. No, like 350 or so. It's not very many days that you can be in the United States. So that was the, that was the bonus. We went all over the world. Um, we would meet up in Paris, in Bali, in Singapore, I and mean, we all over Asia, all Europe. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. So um, wow. even Mexico. Yeah, I didn't. So, I didn't know that part of your story either. I'm learning so much in the first few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love traveling, and I miss it so much. There was a while. There was a point in time where I was going to Paris yearly. And I just, now it's been, I think, five or six years since I've been there. So I really, I really miss it. That's probably going to be one of the first places I go once I can go overseas again. But yeah, so he lived in Afghanistan for that long. I couldn't go and see him there. Uh, It was not allowed. Um, It was not safe enough. Um, I guess technically I could have gone as, as a private citizen, but I wouldn't have had any protection and that would just be dumb. Plus, I was really afraid to do that. Um, but he loved Afghanistan, loved the people, beautiful country. He would send me pictures. He wasn't in the embassy, so he was able to get out a bit and and see the see the country and meet the people. And that's how we got into rugs. 
which is another little thing. But he won't let me. I want to sell the rugs. He wants me to sell the rugs, but then he doesn't want me to get rid of them. And now, after everything that's happened in Afghanistan, I was like, I don't know. I don't want to get rid of our our rugs from Afghanistan now because we won't be able to. How many rugs do you have? Well, we don't have a lot. Um, Maybe ten. But we okay. bought a lot for my brother and his wife. My sister-in-law loves the rugs. So they have, I think, more than we do. They have just like overlapping all over their house. But, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's, I can't wait to hear about that in like along the lines of design and how you can use different pieces from around the world. But I want to go yeah. back to just something you referenced. And I know yes. it's current events right now. Um, how... So does Peter still have connections in Afghanistan? He how is like how is he processing everything that's been happening in the last month? Ooh. Um <laughs> it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. Um and when the evacuation started happening and when everything started going down at the airport, it was there was so much it was so fast as you know. Um that Kabul fell. I, I mean, just the night before, we were um, at our um, Scotch group meeting, uh, and uh, in the back patio of my parents' house, and another person who worked in Afghanistan. They were, they both raised a glass to Afghanistan because they just both have such beautiful memories um, of the country and the people. And it's really the people that stuck with Peter. Uh, and yes, he does know people there. He was working through the night trying to get um, help for people, trying to give them direction. And if nothing else, just being an outside contact for them um, to feel some sense of touch to the outside world. Um, because they didn't necessarily get the news of what was happening or what was safe and where they could go, how they could get through. So he was processing a lot of paperwork and trying to help people. Um, and like I said, we would get text messages in the middle of the night um, with just pictures. Um, one of his, these were mostly former staff that okay. um, were in in the country but because they were former staff they had that special immigrant visa so that they could get out but the problem was with covid there were no flights so and plus not to make this too political but (laughs) president trump had stopped that program with special immigrant visas is my understanding um for a while so people who could have gotten out years ago were not able to so then it just came down to these last couple of days. And um, yeah, it was pretty hard for him to process. He was really sad. He was really upset with the way it was being handled. Um, we all were. And there, I wish I could say that everyone's out, but they're not. Um, the good news is, is that they, everyone that we were dealing with is safe. Um, one of them did lose, uh, her cousin, or was shot and you know they would just send us a picture of her shot lying there I mean she survived so that's but it was real it was real and it was it was hard it was hard to concentrate on anything else but um that's where I 
kind of had to come in and remind about self-care that we can still laugh and take care of ourselves and still be concerned about what's happening in Afghanistan and still help them. Because I told them, you can't help them if you aren't sleeping and you're stressed and worried all the time. We need, you need to take care of yourself too. So yeah. I think women women <laughs> understand that a little bit better than men. Um, it's hard, right? When, when you're yeah. so connected and you have so those, just those roots there. Yeah, you know people. Because when there's a face, res- yeah. yeah. And, um, personally feel responsible, but then also, you know, on a, on a bigger level, you know, the United States, you know, we felt like the, the U.S. owes these people. They helped us. They, you know, because now their lives are in danger because they helped Americans and they're, you know, coming after them. The yeah. people who were helping, their home was raided. Um, another friend of mine was um, helping a family and they were actually at the airport when that explosion happened, that bombing. Luckily, they were on the other side, um, so they were okay. They were safe. I still haven't heard. I don't know that they were able to get out. I, I don't think so because there are still no commercial flights. And then just a couple of days ago, um, a friend of mine, a carpet, <laughs> my carpet guy in Pakistan, um, contacted me. Um, for help, he he his uncle was killed in their village, and he's been trying to help that family. And so, if they can get to Pakistan, then you know Peter's going to try to help as best he can. And you know, mm. if they can get out, they or if they could get to the U.S., you just claim, tell them you want asylum. But yeah, yeah. So it's a lot. Yeah, it's and, really heavy. Um, now you mentioned Pakistan. Yes. So after. Peter was in Afghanistan. Then what was the next part of your story? The next part of our story was moving to Pakistan. Um, And he was working for an NGO. And they said I could go with him. And I was really nervous. It was one. (laughs) Um, I I wish I remembered the name of the movie. Angelina Jolie was in it. Um, Oh, gosh. The the journalist who was beheaded, oh God, his name is escaping me. Um, we'll have to fact check that later. Um, in Pakistan, and Angelina Jolie played his wife in the movie, also a journalist. I went to go see that movie and I thought, I would never go to Pakistan. That place scares the Jesus out of me. So I could not even fathom that that would be in my life, that that would happen. And here I was moving to Pakistan for an unknown amount of time. And um, at one point we did have to take a trip north and um, we were in Abbottabad where that's where they found and um, shot Osama bin Laden. And so it was Crazy. The house had been demolished by then. So, but they're like, yeah, right down that road. And they're pointing is is where he was. It was just I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? I'm an interior oh designer. Gosh. What am I doing here? So, so you were in Pakistan, and how long were you there? Uh too long. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was rough because I didn't have I didn't have much of a life there. Um, we were there a year and a half. Um, and it was a 
so much happened in that year and a half personally in my life and I couldn't work while I was there and so I was in the apartment day in day out and he would work the only time I could get out is when I could get their driver um he would take me out to the market and my instructions were always get in do your business get out so we couldn't really linger anywhere um and so that was that was hard um but I cooked a lot <laughs> learned to cook again or enjoy it anyway because you had to make everything from scratch uh-huh. uh and yeah I was on the computer and trying to think if I should start a design blog and I was like I realized no I didn't realize I could have done it but I told myself that it was too hard or I couldn't and I wasn't you know whatever so um but so you instead we went to Paris and Germany for a wedding and on our way back in Dubai I decided to um stay and to in vitro IVF um and so I was I stayed Peter went back to work in Pakistan and I was in there for a month so it's I did get pregnant and you know long story short I I lost the baby so Mm -hmm. um but that was um just a hard time to then go back to Pakistan after you know, um, the first trimester being, I was in, then went home because I was pregnant. I was like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have the baby here. And it was a very exciting time. And then I had to go back to Pakistan and that was, that was really rough. Um, but, uh, you know, anywhere you travel, whether you think this is heaven or this is hell, you really learn about yourself. Uh, there's always something to take about it. In traveling, you learn so much about other people and then in turn about yourself. And it humbles you, you grow. You, I, I learned that I'm stronger than I ever thought I was. Um, so overall, it was really a great experience. It just was hard sometimes in the moment, being isolated and, and worried. Um, from time to time and being on the other side of the world my um, my connection you know I was awake when my family was mm-hmm. asleep so that was hard yeah but I think I, I mean we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who live in another country that isn't their home and I think what you just said is very descriptive very accurate you learn a lot about yourself and what you can handle and what you maybe even enjoy more and don't like and um definitely definitely i think if everybody could go away not just for vacation but even a couple of months and immerse yourself in the city in the culture somewhere in another country uh it's so good for you it just makes you a better person it really does when it opens up that perspective Right. Yeah. You don't live in this bubble of, you know, Waukesha, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've just, I always love traveling and I just can't wait to do that again. I can't wait to go to Mexico and see you guys. I know. <laughs> we need to get that beach vacation happening. Uh, um, uh, no, I love that. So throughout your 
travels or Peter's travels, even though you weren't maybe a practicing designer at the time, like you didn't have your business going yet, but you still had dreams of becoming an interior designer or had you already started some projects? I had. I had already started. I was doing things on my own. I had kind of had my business um, going for a few years, just small projects um, because I thought we were always going to move back to California. Okay. Almost three and a half, four years. Uh, I really didn't ground myself and just go full on, which that, you know, if I could do it all over again, I, I probably would have just moved to Chicago right away and um, started my business there or started my career, at least working for somebody else. But I was doing projects. So, um, and I, every day it was design inspired something, you know, I was doing stuff on Instagram and trying to find, (laughs) trying to find things that I could post that were my aesthetic um, in Pakistan. So do you, do you find that being in Pakistan, Peter being in Afghanistan, all your travels to Bali and Paris and around the world, does that influence your design today? Oh, 100%, 1000%. Yes. I, um, ever since I, even before Peter traveling, always, always find myself distracted looking at the buildings, the architecture. Uh, I can't go to a place without rearranging it or redesigning it in my head. I was like, that doesn't work there for me. It's really bothering me. If I could just, um, or just, appreciating for what you know what it is um but yeah the differences between europe and asia is astounding and it's it definitely even if you're not consciously thinking about it when you're designing it's there it's in your background it's part of your experience so it's part of me so yeah definitely i love that influence so can you tell us a little bit about your interior design business like what is the day-to-day look like what do you love most about being an interior designer um just tell us a little bit more because i don't know much about the field myself well yeah okay so i do residential interior design uh and i like to start and focus on the three areas of the home that i think are probably the most important on a day-to-day basis for how you live your life and that is the bedroom where you start and end your day uh, generally for most people mm-hmm. um uh the bathroom or something or something there <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i haven't dealt with a like, outhouse design but uh bathroom and then the kitchen um i i think we can all agree it's just big gathering point for for anybody even if they don't cook so those are the three areas I start with of the foundation of design and then work my way out you know then um other rooms of the house living room office offices studies have been a big one this year so I really focus on the function and of course the beauty but how that affects the client individual client it's going to be different for everyone every project is different there are some similarities but um it's really how the design and 
colors and beauty and textiles, textures affect you um, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, uh, you know, your productivity levels, all of that. I'm just a huge believer. And if you are set up in a proper way for your home, that the way you want to work and the way you want to live, we can make that happen. So, for example, I mm-hmm. love your focus of the bedroom, kitchen, and bathroom as like the beginning and then moving into the living room and other spaces. So, your comments on like making it functional, I remember you told me this months ago and I thought, oh, that's yeah. funny because I always thought designers just looked at the colors and like making it pretty. Like, I didn't think about the functionality. What is something that you often see in somebody's kitchen, for example, that you would change to make it more functional for somebody? Um, The kitchen is, I don't know if you've heard this or anyone else has heard this, but when they used to focus on what was called a triangle, and it would be like the sink, the stove, and the refrigerator, and so they're like, create your triangle okay well that is old school now because that was focused on one person doing the cooking uh and that's just not (laughs) how we live life today right at least i think the majority of us you know we got the kids in there the spouse parents whatever dogs um so now we uh, focus on zones so here is your um say I think I've taught you this before here's your drink zone your coffee station zone coffee tea you know we've created that in my house so it's it's off to a space where people can access it without interfering with um, whatever else might be going on like cooking or the loading the dishwasher etc so now I focus more on zones and um, while it's going to be specific to each individual there are some some basics that you know usually you're going to have your cooking zone but in your cooking zone it's probably not going to be as tight and together as it as it once was so there's room for multiple people to help Mm -hmm. have your kids prep while you're stirring or vice versa um getting children in there to cook with you is um, such a great way for one kids to be occupied <laughs> and then two to just be part of the cooking process because yeah. I think you know um, I know you cook with your kids mm-hmm. um, they get more invested in the food and where it comes from and what to eat and exactly anyway so that's just and that- a little bit of taste of how you can just start to think about everything that goes beyond you know where the kitchen sink is where the stove is how does it affect how you move in the space how does it make you more efficient if you have to keep going um across a large kitchen to get to the refrigerator and there's nowhere to set the food to pull it out or whatever and then go back and then you go to another part of the kitchen to grab a spoon and a fork um you know, you're wasting a lot of time if you do that on a day-to-day basis. So you're just kind of really tr- making me think here about where I have things in my kitchen right now. <laughs> well, I think that's a good. I think a good um, thing that you and and maybe your listeners could try is to just 
pay attention to your daily routine and try to um, take note of what you do. Where do I go first? And then what do I do when I make my coffee? What do I, where am I going? Am I going to the sink first to get the water? Is there a water cooler? Where is that? Where's the coffee machine in relation to that? Where, where's the coffee? Do you put filters? Do you have to empty the filter? Where do you enter the previous day's filter? Um, where's your cream, your spoons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where are your mugs? Maybe you maybe you don't have all the mugs there, but maybe like you keep your favorite mug near it and mm-hmm. um and then I come in you know once you figure out the product I, I come in and make it also it's it's got to look good right so that's that's just the icing on the cake when you're saying designers you thought they just pay attention to colors and make things pretty no that's the icing <laughs> on the cake we're really digging deep most yeah. of what we do um like the first 80 percent of it is um discovery and fact-finding um, and really digging deep and getting to know, for me, the client, really getting to know them. So if they're going to work with me, they're going to be involved in the project up front. That's where their time is going to be. And then once we get all of that settled and we think we're in a good place, then you know I, I take over um, and put it all together. So. And- I, I love learning more about this. Uh, it's so fascinating to me because I think whether we know it or not, I, you and I have talked about this before, but it's in some ways it's kind of like therapy. We may not think we need it, but we all need it. And I oh, feel like... 100%. But I feel like design is the same way. Like I, as you were talking, I'm literally picturing all these things that I'm going to try to change and see like how it works, if it's more functional. But then I'm curious because mm-hmm. you also said... Uh, you made mention that during the pandemic, a lot of people have been focusing on home office spaces. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious, is there any trends over the pandemic that you've seen as a designer when it comes to colors in a home? That's interesting. Um, because before the pandemic, yes, is is the short answer. Um, before the pandemic, I mean, there's design and likes all over the place, right? There are so many different designers, so many different aesthetics and styles. Um, But what I had been seeing lately, I tend to lean more modern. Um, My favorite is to mix classic architecture with modern um, aesthetic, modern um, furniture and other things. I mix it. So, um, but I'm more... I'm more minimal, minimal-ish, let's say. (laughs) I wouldn't call myself a minimalist, but minimal-ish. I don't like clutter. So anyway, people spending more time in their homes, there was a lot of white and neutrals going on, just a lot. And I think people want some color in their life now. So I'm definitely seeing a trend toward moving toward more color. Um, Not that it has to be, you know, all out crazy. Like the people who went from an all white kitchen, you know, we're not going to have an all red and green kitchen now. But, you know, adding, being intentional about it, I think Mm -hmm. people are maybe understanding how design works a little bit more now because they've spent so much time in their homes. They haven't um, had really notice the impact before mm. and I think just as we've all noticed that we all probably 
can benefit from therapy. Well, we not probably that we can all benefit from therapy mm-hmm. now. I mean, you can't get a, an appointment with a therapist now. It's so hard. I think that's why all of these online um, new businesses have taken off mm-hmm. for therapy. So, if you are looking for, uh, if there's anyone young listening to this. We need more therapists. <laughs> I think of every type, right? Physical and, and mental. Totally. But anyway, um, people are noticing it has an effect. And they want more color. Mm-hmm. They want to feel more relaxed. They. I think what you said is key. People are being intentional with our exactly. homes. And whether it's getting rid of clutter, whether it's painting a wall, you know, that makes you feel good or moving your coffee mugs like people are looking for intentional ways to make life better right absolutely and that's how I've always been that's how I've always designed it's it's with intention if it's if it's there there's a reason um even if it is just because it looks beautiful and it makes you smile okay right a (laughs) smile is gonna can change your afternoon if you smile at someone else it can change their day so, totally. I mean, not to be too woo-woo or crazy. I mean, it sounds crazy sometimes or like goofy, but there there is a lot of truth to that. So, um, yeah, have some intention. And not that all my intention is to be serene. I, I love to have fun. Um, so I, I do have a little bit of whimsy here in my, in my designs. Um, and there's always a room for a cocktail. There's always room for a cocktail bar. <laughs> yes, which I love. I was just going to say, if someone wanted to see some of your designs, um, is Instagram the best place to look for you or your website that's in the works? <laughs> yeah, like, like, it's like, as you know, it's like, that's been, ah, where am I pivoting now with this? Um, yes, I do have an Instagram. It's at jjovana. Mm-hmm. Um I can J- link it in the G-I-O-V-A-N-N-A notes. Yep. Dot, um, that's also my website, jjovana.com. Um, and as you know, we are we are updating that. So um, by the time this airs, there will at least be a really nice landing page with um, some literal and no, not literal, figurative champagne. <laughs> <laughs> literal, come and visit me and I'm happy to um, pop open a bottle of champagne yes. for anyone who comes. <laughs> I can't wait to do that in person someday. Um, oh, I know, I can't wait. And so one of the things you do, which is, you mentioned it, but like matching the cocktail to the room, can you talk a little bit about your yeah. designs and how you always pair them? Well, that's just something fun. It, it was born out of... Um, bringing people together. Um, I love, like I said, I love to have a good time. Um, and the cocktails, but it, you know, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be a mocktail. It can be tea. Um, it's just that idea that people are brought together through drink and food. Um, you know, when you live in Pakistan, what's the first thing you do? You have tea. You always offer people tea. I assume it's the same in London. I see it on the crown all the time. <laughs> Love that. Um, <laughs> that is the one place I haven't been yet. But, uh, you know, it's just, what do you do? Someone comes to your house, you offer them a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, it's about making a home. And that was just that fun element of bringing in and pairing a, naming all of my projects after a cocktail. 
Um, so it's sometimes it's based on the design, sometimes it's based on um, the the couple and their personality. I I always choose it. My um, I was working in a kitchen for my best friend, and her husband was more concerned about what their drink was for the project. She's like, really? She's like, that's what you're concerned about? What drink <laughs> we're going to be assigned? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> she, he's like, well, do we get to pick? She's like, no, she picks. <laughs> Did he like it at the end? Um, yes, yes. Um, so he yeah. had nothing to worry about. He had nothing to worry about. I think he So can you give us an, an example of one of yours? Like, what has sure. the pairing been? Uh-huh. Okay, so the kitchen that I did for my parents here, um, it's a Georgian brick home, and we did we did the kitchen, actually part of the kitchen, part two is coming. Um, so the drink is a Georgian gin fizz. Well, that's what that I call the so project. Good. <laughs> so the drink is a gin fizz. Okay. Um, so I did mix up a gin fizz, um, there's quite a few different variations on it, but it, it does involve um, egg white, which was fun and messy the first time I made it. Um, I actually really liked it. I really like it. So, um, and then what I will do is um, there was one mid-century kind of um, kind of like that old world glamour, but. Um, mixing with modern um, it was in a vintage uh, condo in Chicago and so that one was uh, a classic uh, champagne cocktail um, so and they make for the you... best photos oh from they what do. I've seen yeah yeah oh yeah you'll see champagne that you will see the champagne in um in my project photos and that is real champagne and that is (laughs) that is really um had by all after the photo shoot so um yeah hopefully there's always a drink at at the at the end of the photo shoot for well-deserved photographers and styling so um but yeah you've talked to sorry to interrupt but you've talked a lot about like the fun side of things what would you say is the worst part about being a designer like if you had to candidly say oh, what God. you don't like about it <laughs> um gosh you know there are some real challenges um i wondered when i first started school why the designers would say why do you want to be a designer <laughs> you, you don't want to do this. You don't oh, want to no. do this. It's just um, there are a lot of balls in the air. There are a lot of things to keep track of. Um, the interior designer is probably the one person in any project that needs to know the most. So we have to keep track of not only you know come up with a design, but then every little detail that goes in that design um and then all of the contractors all of the tradespeople, organize them time them there's just a lot of organization and there are a lot of areas where things can go wrong and they do um i don't i don't know anybody who's had a project without some kind of issue or problem um it's just it's just the nature of it because 
there's just so many, so many things that can go wrong. And that reminds and me. We are. We're moving. Yeah. And that reminds yeah. me that I've heard during COVID now, too, everything is super delayed for oh, the shipments yes. or deliveries or ordering furniture and stuff like that, right? Yes, it's been it's been quite a challenge. Um, the supply chain, there are issues in the supply chain. Um, it's not even just that they don't have the materials. It's a lot of labor. Um, the ports are a mess. Um, they're the um, containers just sitting there uh, overseas, all over the place, mostly probably mostly China, but all over. The ports are just a mess. There aren't people enough people working at the ports. There aren't enough people working in customs. Um, and then just the transit. Um, it takes time and organization, and there's a labor shortage uh, there as well. So, yeah, everything is, everything is delayed. You can just it always took a long time anyway you know custom designs uh or furniture you order through the trade um you know it, three months is not unusual so now you know I, I we're ordering a sofa that is going to take um about 40 weeks oh my goodness yeah that's insane and so that's hard come, when you have clients who have a certain timeline and you're stuck, right? Oh yeah, you. Can, if you have a short timeline, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not you're all like it's not all like HGTV. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, HGTV. It gotta us, love ya. Gotta hate. They ya. make us all feel like we could like whip our home up in two days. I mean, I don't know any interior designer that loves it when their clients say they watch HGTV. <laughs> everything costs a million times more, and everything takes a lot longer. I actually did a show, um, worked on an HGTV show when I was in LA. Um, That's cool. I didn't just, know that. You know, just one episode. I was helping out. Um, and... Uh, I was going, oh my God, I would never want to be the client. I mean, don't, <laughs> I don't think HGTV is listening to me. No, but, they won't. Um, I, you know, I was like, they're having me help paint. I mean, and I, look, look, luckily for them, I am a perfectionist and I am very, you know, anal about my painting and my lines, but other people were not. And I was like, this is, a, I would be really upset if this was my house. <laughs> So it's not all work fast and yeah. get in and out, and it's uh, so it yeah. doesn't all I mean, look perfect like we see it on TV. Then no, and they're not always using you know the highest end yeah. products. Now I'm not going to say that across the board because I I honestly can't say I haven't watched all of the shows and um you know if HGTV offered me a show I don't you know I don't know would I say no I don't know but <laughs> I think the more transparent designers are the better it is for everyone it's better the better for the industry it's better for the clients it's better for the trust and the designers so i you know try to be as transparent as possible without scaring <laughs> clients away but really it's about managing all that up front and letting the client know this is going to take a long time don't 
you know, whatever you think it is, whatever even I think it is, probably let's double that. So, yeah. Well, I think that's really good advice. And uh, this has been so much fun today, Jenica, just learning more about your story, your travels, your passion. Um, as yeah. we kind of wrap this up, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today that we did that we didn't? I thank you for being so vulnerable as well with your story and the struggles. And oh, sure, I know yeah, people relate you. to that with IVF and a miscarriage and not oh. loving your life abroad. And yeah, I mean, it's I hard. Could, as you know, I could talk for hours. <laughs> like, whip up cocktails and then oh, I won't stop. But. Um, you know, the thing that I was thinking about, because I've even questioned where I've been in in this business and in mine, and um, I talk about passion and, you know, starting it from very young age um, and throughout my life and always trying if you think you if you have a passion and you're and you're not working in that and you think I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to make this work or you're trying and it's not working. I would say, um, and this is, could be for anybody, just look at what you're doing and what is it? Take note about what is it that you really love? You know, you were asking me, like, what what's really hard about the business or what don't you like? Um, you know, think about what is it that I really love? Is this the designing? Um, maybe. Is it that connection to people? Um, I love helping women, especially. Um, I've done single women and in their homes after divorce and um, just see how it transforms their lives and brings them to tears. That to me is the best, uh, the best reward of the project. Um, so I really love helping people. Um, and that is, is that something that, you know, and then think, well, does it have to be through what I thought it was I was supposed to be doing all mm -hmm. my life? Am I trying to make something happen? Mm -hmm. Take that passion. Well, maybe the pa the passion is really about helping people mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and then, well, is there something else that I can do where I'm helping people more so that I'm getting more of that joy? I'm going after that joy in my life. If I'm getting that joy 10% of the time that I'm working in something and you know it, how can I get more of that so if it's in my business okay maybe I delegate more of the the business side of things so that I can work more with the clients one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. um, have more time for that or you know if it's designing somebody you know it, you don't have to have your own business I mean we, not everybody should um, just working and, and designing and not being around people. Yeah. So, um, you know, or it could be, I mean, when you're helping people, there's so many, so many different careers you can have doing that. Somebody told um, me actually this morning on Instagram, they said, oh my gosh, thank you so much. We were DMing each other. She said, you really should be a life coach. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> That's so funny. I was thinking the other day that, you know, I think I really would have liked being a therapist. <laughs> so again, you know, there's so many different things, you know, your passion, like figure it out what it is you love in your job and see how you can do more of that, whether it's in your job or even pivoting. That's such solid advice for all of us to do more of what you love and figure out how to get more of that 
every day. Yeah, because life is, um, you know, it's not about are you successful in finding your perfect career? Um, because, gosh, not not everyone does that. And so are you going to feel like a failure in life because you haven't done this amazing, perfect career? Or, you know, life is made up of experiences and the experiences make up who we are. So think about that. Just what what other experiences do I want to have in life? Because that's really what life is about, the journey and learning. And so look for what brings you joy and just try to have more of those experiences. And then I think you might feel more successful that way and instead of just focusing on a career. Yes, amen to all of that. <laughs> you could so believe in yourself, trust in yourself. Yes. Not always easily done. I will buy your first book when it also comes out <laughs> with, <laughs> with all your advice for us. Think. Oh my God, I want to write a book so badly. There you go. I really do. I really do. Well, I think you can with everything you just shared today and your experiences. It's been so rich just listening to it and learning from you. So thank you so much, Jenica, for being a oh, guest today. Thank you today. for having me. This was so Thanks fun. So much. It was. It was really fun. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you had as much fun as we had talking about all of Jenica's travels her love for design, her passion for life. And Jenica is actually one of the women that is in the Terasa Club, which is our entrepreneurship group for anybody who has a dream, a business that you want to grow and you need some accountability of others. You'll get to hang out with me and other incredible women three evenings a month. We use Google Meet to connect and it is so much fun and the testimonials are amazing. So if you're interested in learning more about the Teresa Club, please reach out on Instagram at Dominique Isa Dines or at the Teresa Club. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica.